Welcome to this week's podcast. And this week I'm joined by Patrizia Pisano. And Patrizia is a life coach and also a meditation leader. Welcome, Patrizia. I don't know that I'll be able to say that properly all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. So we were chatting and uh, we were talking about the fact that it's a new year and that lots of people are talking about making lifestyle changes. And, uh, you know, we tend to focus on what we might do for our bodies, whether it's moving more, eating less uh, or eating better. Maybe I should say that. And so we were talking about the idea of detoxing the mind. And I thought that was something that other people might be interested to hear a bit more about. Um, because as you said, you know, we're always thinking about how to look after our bodies, food we eat and the exercise, but we very rarely think about looking after our minds and our mental health. So yeah, it's definitely a, a great topic uh, to be talking about. It is, it absolutely is, especially at the moment. You know, we were saying that uh, it's not just us gals who are going through the menopause who might be struggling, but you know, everybody at the moment has got a lot more on the plate than they would normally have at this time of the year and so you know this does apply across the board doesn't it yeah no it really does um and obviously you know in terms of you know even with lockdown you know you're going to have two different types of people so people that are experiencing lockdown in a positive way and those that are experiencing lockdown the majority of us you know quite negatively and are feeling so down about it so it's that question of well the people that are actually thriving through this what is it about these people that make some difference to those that, you know, people that are struggling through it. And I think it all boils down to, you know, our beliefs and how we think. Um, so that's why it's really important not just to go through life unconsciously, like to really be aware of, of, of how your thoughts create your reality. So that's why a good starting point is, you know, exploring beliefs and what is a belief. So, you know, if we ask ourselves, well, what is our, a belief? It is literally just, it's a statement about reality that we think is, is the truth. So basically a belief is just, you know, thoughts that we have over and over again. So the thing is, you know, if, you, if we're able to master our thoughts, then we can master our lives. But what we need to do is, you know, we need to condition ourselves for new thoughts. Um, because, you know, most of the programming that, you know, has happened from birth to the age of seven. So we're almost like completely unaware of this program, you know, this programming uh, and how much information our subconscious mind tracks and files and then uses without us realizing it. Mm. Um, I mean, that's, that is the thing about the, the brain that we, we function so much of the time, the vast majority of the time unconsciously. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes, invariably, beliefs are something that we can be totally unaware of having yeah. until we start to dig a little bit deeper. And yeah. I think that was interesting that you said it's something that we might be thinking regularly or commonly. It's kind of a default, something that your brain takes you to almost automatically. Yeah. Exactly. So as we start exploring our beliefs, we'll realize that, you know, the majority of them, you know, they go back to our childhood. 
So, you know, depending on your upbringing, depending on your parents or, you know, the circumstances of your childhood, you may believe, for example, that, I don't know, people are good at heart or people are, are bad. It, it really does depend. Um, or, you know, people, like if you were criticised a lot or you had to deal with childhood traumas or, you know, weren't given enough love or affection, you probably grow up and think, you know, you're not good enough you're not important enough or you know you're not worthy of, of anything so if we go back to you know a you know when you were a child like the first time that you're criticized for doing something anything whatever that may be the way you're you put your toys away the way you eat whatever it is you know the first time you get criticized you say to yourself oh my god I've done something wrong I'm not good enough and then you know it gets repeated so the same criticism and then you say again to yourself I'm not good enough and then like the third time this is the key this is when we start to give it meaning <clears throat> so we give it the meaning I'm not good enough so it's not the fact that we're just thinking about it we give it meaning so then you know I'm not good enough becomes a belief so now I have a belief and and that's how programming starts so that's why it's so important to review your belief system you know by thinking about you know what conditioning or what messages did you receive you know from your parents from teachers from society at large you know if we look at different areas like you know what messages did you get about your body about relationships about love about money about, about everything so it's really important to take the time and start reviewing this um, and people can do that by just listing well, what messages did I receive in these different areas? I think I came across a questionnaire online as well, where you can, uh, uh, it's asked you a whole host of questions and that kind of um, drew out some of what might be your core beliefs. Uh, you know, for me personally, I, I remember uh, always being praised for cleaning my plate when I was at the dinner table, okay? There you go. And so, uh, and they would always say, oh, Philippa, she's such a good eater. Like, that can work against you <laughs> if you're not careful. Um, you know, because, because the, there is that uh, association then with food and mood that has been reinforced at a very early age. And, uh, and I remember things like being told, Oh, Philippa, she's so bonny, you know, and bonny back in the day meant that you were um, well built, shall yeah. I say. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, she's so bonny, you know, it, and I was, I was kind of um, praised in a way for being uh, a little bit on the chunky side, you know, a little bit... Uh, uh, whatever it was valued and in lots of cultures actually it is isn't it a, ch a chubby cheeked child you're always yeah. going to love your yeah. chubby cheeked child kind of thing and I think that's that's what it was really but you know it's so those are examples of things that will be said to you repeatedly when you're young that that just have this it's a bit like a mind worm no that's not it is it you know a song that you hear that you can't get out of your head they call it a, a, something to do with worms i've forgotten oh, okay it, it is it's like you know we get um you know we get given like a character to play yeah based on our parents or, and society's rules and and expectations 
know, and then what we start to do, like with, with your example, like, you know, if you don't follow that script, you know, given for that character that you're a good eater and if, the, if I get praised for it, then I'm going to keep doing that. So you grow up thinking, well, I've got to finish everything on my plate, whether I want to or not. I get praised for it. So so then you start, as I said, we put on these masks and it's like, it's not because we want it, it's because we're receiving praise from someone else. You know, and the opposite is, is true as well. You know, if you're repeatedly told off or punished for something, as, as children, we finally sort of give in to that and we start to step fully into that character. So it's really interesting that, you know, that we start to take on these beliefs that are inherited from other people rather than from ourselves. You're quite right that in, it is inherited and, uh, and you think you're your own person and you've got your own mind, yeah. uh, you know, and, and your thoughts are your own. But actually, if you start to, like you say, strip away the layers and delve a little deeper, sometimes you, you find that those thoughts are not quite as unique as you thought they were. <laughs> No, yeah, exactly. And also it's from, it's from this, you know, like where negative self-talk stems from, where it's like, you know, well, why can't I just not leave something on my plate, for example? And then you start to punish yourself because it's like, well, you know, why am I eating when I'm not hungry? So, you know, we start to talk negatively about ourselves. And then this is where like self-limiting beliefs come from. So these deep-rooted beliefs or assumptions that we hold about ourselves or about other people or about life in general so yeah they're just beliefs that you know we've inherited and we just assume that they're true even though more often they're not they're not true there's so many examples of limiting beliefs that stem from that you know things like I don't know life is a constant struggle or I should always act nice no matter how I'm feeling. I can't cope with scary or difficult situations. There's all sorts of self-limiting beliefs that sort of stem from that negative self-talk. I can't cope is what uh, kind of comes to me when you say that. It's kind of an inherent feeling that there's things that I can't cope with things. And yet, if you look back and the reality is the situations you've been in your life that you have actually coped perfectly well with. So why is it that you're, the thing that comes to you before anything else is, oh, I can't cope with that or, oh, this is, you know, this is too much. To be able to change that, you do need to ask certain questions. So there are ways of, 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 of changing how you view yourself. Before we move on to that, if we have a, a deep-rooted self limiting belief like I'm not good enough what we then start to do is we start to adopt these the like survival strategy beliefs for example if someone who's suffering from self-esteem for example then their survival strategy belief would be well you know what makes me good enough is achieving things I start to think well I'm successful by achieving so that's the classical person who's like a workaholic who's overproductive because they feel like that's what makes me good enough is if I overwork and I'm always productive. You know, if you're suffering with the self-limiting belief of your own self-worth, then we start to adopt the survival strategy of what makes me important is being successful. So like having a lot of money or achieving things. So this is like all sort of driven behavior that tries to keep our self-worth at bay. 
So, you know, if I ask you, for example, what makes you good enough, Philippa? Yeah, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, the thing that set me apart when I was at home as a kid was that I was good at school. Um, you know, I was always praised for achievement and, uh, and that has driven me to seek that achievement forever. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. And, and you, you know, you don't even know you're doing it is the thing. <laughs> Yeah, that, that is, that, that's, that's the whole problem is the fact that it's just so ingrained in our subconscious that we're just like working like on, you know, autopilot. If I ask you what makes you good enough, you know, someone who is completely sure of themselves and have self-worth, the answer should be, well, you know, nothing. I just am because I exist. So if you think that way, again, that's another belief. Or even things like, you know, mistakes and failures, like for someone that overachieves because you were praised for that, then, you know, you might look at mistakes and failures as something to be avoided because you think like mistakes and failures, you know, if I make a mistake or I fail, I'll be rejected. So we start to adopt all these survival strategy beliefs, which then also leads on to these like shielding mechanisms, which we do to protect ourselves. Whether you were praised for a certain thing or you were criticised or unloved, with, with the criticism, this, this hurts. So, you know, like a wound, like if we hurt ourselves, we've got a plaster on it. It's the same thing, like with a lot of continual criticism or being hurt in one way or another, we start to develop this wound and so we shield ourselves and we grab anything to lessen the pain so that we can adapt to it. And if we do look at shielding mechanisms, there are like a few usual suspects and you know, things like people pleasing, mm -hmm. you know, because like you, you think, well, you know what, if everyone around me is happy and more importantly, happy with me, then maybe bullies, whatever you want to call them, will give me a pass and I'll be worthy of love and I'll be okay. Or closely linked to that is this whole mechanism of invisibility. You know, if I keep my head down, you know, even at school, I don't raise my hand or I don't speak up, then again, maybe the bullies won't notice me and they won't call me out to shame me or ridicule me in some way. And the other one, which I know that I've adopted, is this perfectionism. If I am perfect in every way, this is like an impenetrable shield where like no arrow of criticism can get through. So, you know, we start to use these different shielding mechanisms to, to try and numb us or, you know, protect us. Perfectionism, for example, is that it's just exhausting, right? And it's also impossible and unsustainable to be perfect the whole time. And the whole thing with like invisibility and people pleasing, I mean, what we're trying to do is just trying to evade that attention. But then you also get the other side where another shielding mechanism would be like anger. So, you know, there are people that are constantly angry because deep down, subconsciously, you think, well, you know, if I'm angry all the time, the people know to walk on eggshells, it sort of keeps everyone at a distance, right? And that's what I want deep down. So if someone wants to hurt me, I'm already out of range, yeah? So this is quite an effective tool, but obviously leads to sort of, you know, estranged relationships and, and no warmth in your life. And then the last sort of shielding mechanism is money and prestige. So, you know, obviously nobody can argue with success. So if I'm successful, 
and I'm rich, you know, nobody's going to poke my wound. These are all different shielding mechanisms that we adopt. It's like we're trying to, how do we soothe ourselves to get the maximum pain relief for the least costs? So it'd be interesting just to ask yourself, you know, like what masks are you wearing or, or have you worn? I mean, I, I know I've worn a lot of these uh, shielding masks. But the thing is, you know, once you realise that all of these forms of shielding are aimed at numbing a wound within you, you know, aimed at numbing that belief that you, as you are, are unworthy of love, then, you know, you can start to take steps to transform. Yeah, and I, I definitely um, identified with having used probably all of those <laughs> to varying degrees. So we have these shielding mess mechanisms. Are they part of the survival strategy? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, exactly. So we yeah. start, yeah, we, apart from the survival strategy beliefs, like, you know, as I said, what makes me good enough is achieving things or, you know, what makes me important is being successful. We have, you know, we put these masks on. So we go through life with these masks, which I call shielding mechanisms. So the, the self-limiting beliefs are the things that cause us to adopt those strategies. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I know there are common threads, aren't there? And I think you mentioned four common self-limiting beliefs. Well, the four most common ones are I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy, which is very similar to I'm not important. I'm inadequate and I'm not capable so they're the four most common uh, self-limiting beliefs. But, you know, if we look at them, like, overall, they, they all boil down to, to issues with self-esteem and self-worth. That's right. And so um, having these beliefs as part of your DNA, really, what kinds of things can we do to shine a light on that, first of all? Well, obviously, you need to sort of try and work out what are my self-limiting beliefs? That's, that's the first thing. So, you know, there's a lot of inner work, you know, like if you're trying to, you know, lose weight or get healthier or even put on weight, that takes work. And it's the same thing when working with your mind. So, you know, if you look at the key areas of your life, like if you want to take, for example, your relationship with your body, I grew up always thinking I'm overweight and I'm fat and I, I never liked my body because those are the messages that I grew up with. So I took it as my own, you know, and I obviously had no self-worth because I didn't like the way I looked. Um, so if I take that area, obviously, you know, people can work through all the different areas, relationships, career, but in terms of my body, then, you know, what do I believe about my body? I'm not worthy of being loved because I don't look right. And so that means that I'm not important enough. And then what you can do is then start to write like an empowering counter statement or think about it. You won't believe it straight away, but just thinking about something to counteract what you're saying. I don't know, something like I'm a unique and valuable individual. Just that you, you, you start to write that down. You know, you need to sort of you won't believe it because the belief, as I said, you know, we have about 60,000 thoughts every day. So belief comes over time. But there are like five questions that you can ask yourself with my example of my body. What evidence is there that supports this belief? 
Yeah. So if I look objectively at all of my life experiences, what is the evidence that this belief is true? So yeah, maybe I got criticized when I was younger from my mum, for example. But what about other evidence? Was I criticized at school, in relationships, in my marriage? No. So I start to think, well, this belief is not always true for me because that's the second question. So is this belief always true for me? Well, no, it really isn't. It was just a particular set of circumstances. So I'm starting to think, okay, so maybe maybe that isn't true. Um, and then the third question is, well, does this belief consider the whole picture? Does it take into consideration the whole picture? And obviously it doesn't because it was just something that was said to me by one particular person. And then you ask yourself, does this belief encourage my own peace of mind and well-being? Well, obviously not. It doesn't. And then again, the other question is like, did I choose this belief or has it developed from the influence of my family or friends or, you know, when I was growing up? And obviously in my case, it was definitely developed from the influence of my family. Uh, and then the, that was the last part, like what empowering counterstatement can I begin to start using to change this belief today? Okay. So I think, you know, if you take the time to write it, write it out, like each belief, you're already almost there. I think most of the transformative magic happens while you're doing that sort of process. And then you can, you know, you can embed it further by, you know, sticking your new belief up somewhere around the home. So you see it every day, you know, you go about your day, you start catching yourself, like when that thought and feelings lead you back in that old direction. So it's all a question of, of being aware first and foremost. I think that's really helpful to have a kind of step-by-step approach. And, yeah. uh, and I know that this process takes place in the primitive part the lizard part of the brain or the limbic system yeah and so it is that place of automatic thought and actually the limbic system is it works more quickly than the frontal part which is the the rational part of your brain and so we are taken very quickly into that part of the brain the unconscious part of the brain where the primitive programming lies yeah. And so the only way to overcome that is through harnessing the power of this frontal part of the brain or the logical part of your brain. And so, you know, you're right, it is work. It sounds like work because it is work. You know, these things work and okay, we don't all need to do the work. And, and if you don't need to do the work, then that's, that's absolutely wonderful. I'm so happy for people that don't have this work to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we try our best to raise children that are not going to need to do this work, don't we? Yeah. But we're all, all only but human, you exactly. know, at the end of the day. You know, we, we can only but do our best, uh, yeah. you know, and that's and be kind to yourself and forgive yourself when things go slightly awry. Knowing about this amazing capacity for the brain to be programmed and, and to remember programming that you actually can almost not even remember happening is the thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and it's so automatic. And, and if you've got the work to do, if, you know what, we've got time on our hands. Oh, yeah, uh, exactly. You know, that's the challenge, really, to start to develop awareness around these thoughts 
that, um, like you say, might visit us frequently. And that's the clue, really, that, that they're visiting us frequently. And then we start to think a little bit more about, well, what are these thoughts? And uh, why am I having these thoughts? And are these thoughts appropriate for me? And if not, what can I put in their place? Yeah, exactly. I mean, most people that if you if you think you, you don't have any work to do, then you're always feeling good. But I think, you know, when you don't feel good for whatever reason, that's when you know that you're having some form of limiting belief. That That's how you know. You, you don't feel good. Um, and obviously, when you don't feel good, we get into these low vibrational states. So we obviously we can't change anything when we're in those states. I think, you know, to try and have a new belief system, it does, it takes time. It's like, you know, when you get a new pair of glasses, at first, you know, you put them on and you feel a little bit drunk and a little bit wobbly, right? And everything looks different. And you really have to fight with yourselves to not take them off. Because obviously your the neural pathways are sort of reforming. You keep with it and you keep practicing your new beliefs. And then after a while, they say it takes about 21 days of consciously forcing these new neurons to fire together before they wire together and become an automatic program so that you no longer have to concentrate hard on something. It's just like the new, you know, what you now do or think. So if you think like 21 days, it's really not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, right? So as you said, you know, give it time, practice, you know, don't beat yourself up about it. Even if you slip back, just the fact that people would take the time to to process this and to write out this new belief system, you know, it will automatically get your subconscious mind to work on it, even if you do absolutely nothing else about it, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's that's really helpful advice. And, you know, this life's a journey and we're all different. And that's the beauty of it, isn't it? Everyone brings to the party their own personalities and uh, quirks. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you giving your time to have a chat. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Yeah, no, thank you, Philip. And thank you so much for having me. It was lovely. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>